You're listening to Simpler One Earth Living from Jubilee One Earth Economics and Simple Living Works with co-hosts Lee Van Ham and Jerry Iverson. Most people feel on the outside of extreme wealth. Some aspire to it. Many are offended by it and consider it immoral, even evil. But most of us, it's a sideshow. But Chuck Collins, our guest today, says, no, it's not a sideshow. It's the main show. It affects all of us. We pay taxes that build what everyone uses. They avoid taxes, sometimes paying none, taking no responsibility for the common good, though they benefit from it. What makes all this work? That's what our guest today explains. Definitely worth staying with us. We hope you can. Greetings to you, Lee, from Paso Robles, California, and Simple Living Works. And I greet you, Jerry, from San Diego and Jubilee One Earth Economics. Well, our guest, Chuck Collins, is director of the program on inequality and the common good, co-editor of inequality.org, an institute for policy studies. I first became familiar with him through the book, Robin Hood Was Right, A Guide to Giving Your Money for Social Change. That was co-authored by Chuck in 2000. Then I was greatly impacted by a book he wrote with Felice Yeskel, Economic Apartheid in America, a primer on economic inequality and insecurity, published in 2005. Well, that book so clearly explains how the economic system can lessen the economic divides in our society and how it can increase them subsequently. I established a relationship with Chuck at the Solidarity Economic Forum in Amherst, Massachusetts in 2009. When I wrote my first book, Blinded by Progress, Chuck agreed to write the foreword. I'm grateful for that. A good way to appreciate why Chuck can speak with authority to our topic today, inequality and the wealth divide, is to scan titles of his writings. He's author of the popular book, Born on Third Base. A one percenter makes the case for tackling inequality, bringing wealth home, and committing to the common good. There's also, is inequality in America irreversible? He also wrote, 99 to 1, how wealth inequality is wrecking the world and what we can do about it. He is co-author with Bill Gates Sr. of Wealth and Our Commonwealth in 2003, a case for taxing inherited fortunes. Chuck's work with the wealthy persons led to co-founding Wealth for the Common Good, a network of business leaders, high-income households, and partners working together to promote shared prosperity and fair taxation. This network merged in 2015 with Patriotic Millionaires. Most recently, Chuck has written The Wealth Hoarders, How Billionaires Spend Millions to hide trillions. And a short article appeared in Yes Magazine entitled, Helping the Rich Gave away, Give Away Their Wealth. Numerous additional references to Chuck's writings are given in the show notes. Chuck lives with his partner in Vermont. Let's get right into the pre-recorded conversation Lee and Chuck had recently. Well, today I'm so happy to welcome Chuck Collins to the Simpler One Earth Living podcast. And uh, he has written another recent amazing book that has taken me into the world of, the, of wealth 
and uh, and the gap between wealth and poor in ways that I have never explored before. Um, <clears throat> so that's what we're going to talk about, and uh, and and he comes out with a weekly blog for those of you uh, who would like further contact uh, either now or after hearing this. And of course, you'll, you'll want to get a copy of his book. Uh, let's see if I can remember the title, Wealth Hoarders, How, um, How Wealth Spends Millions to Hide Trillions or something. That's close. How Billionaires. Pay um, millions to hide trillions. There you go. Oh, yeah, a lot of alliteration there. Anyway, Lee, it's so great to be with you. Thank you for inviting me into conversation. Well, good. And your work with the Institute for Policy Studies is uh, so admirable, as is as your whole team there. Uh, how fortunate that you're able to be part of this think tank and how fortunate they are to have you both ways. Um, all right, so so let's get into this. Let's get into this this book because um, you introduced me, Chuck, to something I never thought of. You know, I thought of well, if wealthy people just just wouldn't be so greedy, and if we could restrain them some, and that kind of thing. And of course, I knew a few stories like your own, where you where you um, released yourself from the captivity of wealth, if I may put it that way, which is a good jubilee phrase. And I think you actually embrace that way of thinking about it. Um, and, and, and then reading your book, it's like, oh my goodness, there's a whole systemic effort involving many professional people who are working to make real sure that wealth does not move to the next generation and that taxes don't have to get paid on on much of it, if any, and um, that basically their countries get ripped off and the people who are, are poor get ripped off. All of that was just, just eye-opening to me, mind-boggling, actually. So um, describe this, what you call the wealth defense industry, because that's such a key concept. Yeah. Well, Lee, I think you, you said it well, which is, you know, we, we, we're very familiar with inequality and the way in which the wealthy have gotten wealthier over the last few decades. Um, and it was my own life experience in a way that led me to try to understand. So, okay, you know, wealthy people are responsible for the choices they make, but there's a whole kind of group of professional enablers. Uh, I, I call them the sort of the agents of inequality who get up every morning and work with ultra high net worth individuals, people with $30 million all the way up to the billionaires. So there were, we're, talk, we're not talking about middle income or even affluent people trying to set aside money for retirement. We're talking about people who have so much wealth uh, that they have their own sort of professional services. And these are tax attorneys, um, accountants, wealth managers, and there's a whole, for the very wealthy, a whole sector of what people call family offices. And uh, yeah, we social scientists call them the wealth defense industry. Um, and they are essential to the process of, as you described, sort of hiding, sequestering, moving wealth 
outside the reach of tax authorities, outside the reach of accountability. Uh, and um, they kind of have a bias toward accumulation. So, you know, if somebody went into them and said, well, I'd like to give a law half this money away, they would be like, no, 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 that's, that's reckless. And you need to think about the long term. And then they have a bias toward uh, legacy, moving as much wealth down the, the sort of narrow blood relations chain. Uh, and then uh, another bias is against taxation. You know, taxes are a waste and our job is to help you avoid them. So they are a really part, important part of kind of the ecosystem of inequality. Okay, well, um, as I say, that was a, a whole new term for me and, uh, and it led me into an appreciation of just how systemic, how systemic this is, which I really had not appreciated in that same way. Now, another, another uh, couple of words we hear increasingly, I think, is the word oligarch and oligarchy. And um, I suspect a lot of us who use the terms are, don't exactly know that there's a pretty clear definition of what, what they mean. Um, and you explain that. Um, tell us the difference or how, yeah, what, at what point yeah. did I become an ol oligarch? Um, yeah, for you and other aspiring oligarchs, <laughs> it's good to know this information. Um, and, I, and here I'm, I'm, I'm indebted to a, a scholar named Jeffrey Winters, who wrote a, a terrific book called Oligarchy. His, his, you know, and we sort of throw that term around, you know, plutocrats and oligarchs, but mm -hmm. his, his precise definition is an oligarch is when you have so much wealth that you, um, you sort of cross a line, which is you begin you have more wealth than you need to sort of meet your needs and desires, and you're using your wealth as an exercise of power. Mm -hmm. And the other definition is that you begin to invest in wealth defense, meaning you use this enormous amount of wealth to fend off oversight and taxation. You, you essentially use that wealth to rig the rules to get more wealth. And, uh, you know, Jeffrey Winters would say somewhere around that $30 million line, you know, below $30 million, you know, you, you, uh, you have a, a tremendously comfortable life and your children's needs are met, but you don't have unlimited power. You don't, you don't get to flex that power in the public sphere. You don't have the kind of philanthropic and political power. But once you sort of rise above a certain level, you have a lot more power. And, and that's really the key understanding is an oligarch is someone who wields their wealth in a, in, as a form of power. Okay, so when a country becomes ruled by oligarchs and, and becomes an oligarchy, uh, at that point, they are ruled by wealth more than law. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's, it's a society where the, the rules of society, the, the rules governing society are shaped or vetoed by the, the wealthy. And that's what we see a lot, by the way, is there's tremendous desire and appetite for change, but what oligarchs are able to do is sort of essentially block meaningful change. Yes, exactly. And, 
And uh, that leads me to something that I want to get to in a minute. And that is in the face of that, which seems, uh, as I was reading into your book, I thought, my gosh, this just seems impenetrable, this defense industry. But then um, I, I'm kind of glad I had read your article in Yes Magazine ahead of time, because that, uh, that gave me some examples of why that isn't why that isn't true. But uh, let me ask first, um, because the wealth defense industry uh, has really, uh, really attacks democracy, I would say. It isn't just undercutting it, it is actually attacking democracy uh, here and around the world. Uh, and, and that I is, well, um, really bad for a lot of us. Uh, but how, how do you how do you think about that, and how do you describe? Mm. That? <clears throat> yeah, I think it's an important point, which is that essentially what the wealth defense industry does is it subverts the rule of law, so it prevents societies from uh, taxing the wealthy or holding them accountable for criminal activity. Um, you know, one of the uh, if if you care about global poverty, this whole hidden wealth system is the mechanism by which wealth is largely extracted from countries in the global south, countries in Africa and Latin America. Wealthy elites take their money out of the country using this system. And uh, in October 2021, the, uh, the, you know, there was the release of the Pandora Papers, which was this huge leak of data. And one of the things that it was really clear was kleptocrats, people who've stolen money from their own people, were using this hidden wealth system to take money out of their home countries and bring it to the United States to park it here. Um, so your point about democracy is important. How can you have a democratic society when the wealthiest people effectively are opting out or not obeying the rule of law or essentially rewriting the laws? in their own interest. Uh, it's fundamentally at odds with a democratic self-governing society. I remember uh, seeing this quote sometime back and it just has stuck in my mind since Louis Brandeis, the um, Supreme Court justice, who said you can have democracy and you can have wealth, you just can't have them at the same time. Um, and your book further illustrates how, how, how hard that is. And I thought too, as I read your book, and maybe you said it, I can't remember for sure, but uh, for a long time, um, transnational corporations have shown that nation states um, can be used, but they don't rule. And, um, and as I read your book, I thought, my gosh, uh, the wealth defense industry, um, it's transnational. It, uh, it doesn't, really um, have to uh, obey their the rules in their country. They'll try to write them and, and uh, make them fit their advantage, but they don't really have to um, obey them as I read it. Yeah, I think that's a very accurate way of portraying it. And a lot of what I looked at in the wealth orders is how individuals avoid responsibility and taxation, but there's sort of a whole parallel uh, corporate wealth defense industry 
same thing, lawyers and, you know, kind of accountants and people who help global corporations. Um, and, and a lot of it is how, how uh, corporations and wealthy individuals pit jurisdictions against one another for, you know, the, the, the phrase is sort of interjurisdictional competition. So South Dakota will say, well, we'll create a trust that will have very low accountability. And then Wyoming will say, well, we'll try to create one too. And then next thing you know, whether it's states in the United States or the Cayman Islands or uh, you know, the British Virgin Islands, they all are competing in a race to the bottom in terms of standards. And that is very similar to what you see with transnational companies who are willing to go wherever the standards are lowest, whether it's environmental standards or labor protections or whatever. And I, I know that uh, when they've relocated their headquarters, that there's often this negotiation that goes on between states and, and, and it just um, un undercuts terribly the stability and in in economics of that, of that state. But as we're saying that states are simply pawns and servants of, uh, of the transnational instead of the nation state. Um, yeah, um, in addition to this attack on democracy, um, there's such an incredible destruction of our planet going on. And um, so that it's to the point where um, enormous numbers of people have huge eco-anxiety uh, and, and young people who pay attention certainly have it. Um, how, how, is that, how is that working? Uh, you know, this, this uh, lack of concern about life on the planet, it seems to uh, conflict with the values of the wealth defense industry. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I think the hidden wealth system is one of the ways in which we are uh, <clears throat> ill-prepared to respond to the ecological crisis of, that we're facing. Uh, many, many communities, I think if they had control over their resources and wealth uh, would be investing in transitioning to a post-fossil fuel economy, uh, would not tolerate sort of the destruction and extraction of natural resources. Um, and again, this system is one of the ways in which the wealth and the ecological wealth of the world is plundered. Um, a lot of the wealth being extracted, say, from African countries is natural resource wealth, uh, where, you know, just look at what, uh, what's happening with, say, cobalt in the Congo and other places. Uh, this is, these are natural resources. They're owned by usually wealthy elites in those societies who have found ways to funnel that wealth out of the country. Um, and it, it, it's just another way in which the mechanism this hidden wealth system undercuts our ability to solve those problems. Uh, it's the means by which the wealth is sort of siphoned out of local homes and lands. 
as opposed to held in the community and steward, better stewarded. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, another thing that I had not, not realized really until I was reading in your book is how, how it isn't primarily the Cayman Islands or whatever else we hear is the location for hiding wealth. Uh, it's the U.S. that the U.S. hides what four or five times the amount of wealth that any other country does. I can't remember that figure exactly, and I don't want to exaggerate it. But it was an enormous amount when I read it, and I thought, "Oh my goodness, I had no idea. I thought it all had to be offshore." <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, your uh, you, your idea is accurate. Meaning, I think what's happened in the last ten years is other parts of the world are starting to crack down on these secrecy jurisdictions. You know, uh, maybe six years ago, the, the Panama Papers were published, which were a big revelation uh, based on a leak from one law firm in Panama showing the global use of shell companies and offshore tax havens. And it really shook things up, not in the United States, but in other parts of the world. Mm. And, um, you know, I think when you and I were growing up, we always heard about Swiss bank accounts. And yes. If you were a wealthy person and you wanted to spirit your money out of the United States, you would open a Swiss bank account. Yes. Well, actually, in 2009, under President Obama, we pretty much shut down uh, Swiss bank accounts as a way for U.S. citizens to anonymously hide their money. We have a treaty with Switzerland requiring them to disclose when a U.S. citizen opens a bank account. Um, so... The, the, the important thing to understand is the rest of the world started to clean their clean up their act, whereas the U.S. was kind of a laggard. And so if you were a billionaire kleptocrat, uh, bringing your money to the United States became more and more attractive. And again, the state of Delaware, if you want to create an anonymous shell company, you go to Delaware. If you want to create a trust that will live forever, you go to South Dakota. All of a sudden, the, uh, certain states in the United States became the weak links in the global system of fairness and transparency, and more and more money came here. And even real estate, even uh, U.S. real estate now is seeing a huge infusion of global wealth, uh, Metro Los Angeles, Southern Florida, New York, Boston, where I'm from, you know, we're just seeing anonymous money buying up real estate, not, not to live in it, as a form of wealth storage. Um, so you, so we're, we're billionaires and kleptocrats around the world are parking their money here in the United States. And what's it doing to the real estate market in the US? Well, it's obviously driving up the cost of land and housing. It's creating huge amounts of waste. There's, there's all, all over our communities are large new construction, luxury properties that are largely vacant. And think about when you build one of these huge residential towers, how much natural resources goes into the creation of that, how much energy goes to heat these empty boxes in the sky. It's a huge waste. And it's all a form of wealth storage for the global super rich. So um, it, it has all kinds of costs to our local communities, including, you know, anonymous. These are in you know, anonymously on. We, we literally don't know 
who is buying the land and, and the housing in our communities. Um, the good news is there's a whole movement to unmask and require greater transparency in real estate ownership, ownership so we can you know, figure out who's buying our neighborhoods and, and act appropriately. Yeah, um, maybe we should talk a little further about that because I've alluded to it and you have too that, that, there, that uh, there, are, there are some uh, commendable efforts, some, some effective efforts to counter this uh, wealth defense industry. And um, boy, they sound important to me to, to put those out there as well. Uh, so I, I'd love you to talk about that and uh, how extensive they are and maybe some examples uh, as well. Well, I think it is important to say it's, it is a system, as you pointed out, but there are people in that system that do have some agency. Uh, both wealthy individuals uh, can make decisions about how aggressively they're going to use these hidden wealth systems. And there are a growing number of people who work in that sector who I've, I've benefited from their, their willingness to be sources of information and even defectors. There's a lot of people who are at the end of their professional careers who are kind of asking themselves the question, what have I done? You know, what, and, 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 and have regrets about spending their whole lives helping the rich get richer. Mm. And um, they're willing to be um, allies in an effort to change the system. Um, so yeah, there, one, one important thing is to invite and encourage people working in that system or wealthy individuals to step outside that system. But ultimately, we have to change the rules. Um, one is enforcement. Uh, the, the super wealthy in the United States now, you know, we have, we have an inheritance tax called an estate tax. It's effectively optional for the very wealthy. Um, it's raising almost no money. There are all kinds of loopholes. The IRS, the oversight body of the U.S. government has been decimated in their ability to sort of follow the shell games that the wealthy play. So enforcing existing laws would, would be important. Transparency, requiring disclosure of who the real beneficial owners are of real estate and, and companies generally. Um, the use of trusts, um, which is not well understood, but a trust is a form of ownership and it has been grotesquely manipulated by the ultra wealthy to, to essentially be a vehicle by which you can hide money and sequester wealth. Um, and then international agreements can, are really meaningful here. And we have, we have in each of these areas, there are kind of good things happening, Lee. It's not, you know, it can be kind of discouraging and overwhelming and maybe like, oh, this is the way the system will never be able to fix it. Mm -hmm. But actually Congress a year ago passed legislation called the Corporate Transparency Act requiring companies to disclose who their real beneficial owners are. And I just read the regulations yesterday for that new law mm -hmm. and they're really very good. Um, Great. There's a whole movement around global corporate taxation to have a global corporate minimum tax and 130 countries around the world have assigned a treaty creating kind of a 
a floor of uh, minimum taxation, but even more important, there's country by country disclosure. You know, so Apple can't just say, oh, I'm paying no taxes here and no taxes here. And I'm paying, you know, they have to kind of let everybody know what they're doing in each of these countries. Um, and there's, there's just a, even at the municipal level, cities like Los Angeles are calling for disclosure of real estate ownership, you know, mm -hmm. who own, who's buying this property. You need to tell us uh, if you're going to buy property in Los Angeles County, you need to uh, disclose who the real owners are. So there's, there's tremendous push pushback. Um, and even President Biden's um, legislation, the, the, the Build Back Better bill, invests a lot more in enforcement. So the good news is I think people are waking up to the harms mm. caused by this hidden wealth system, the way in which it shifts taxes off the wealthy onto everyone else, uh, and the way it enables uh, criminals. Mm -hmm. um, and, and they're starting to step forward and do something about it. Yeah, you just said criminals. Uh, we haven't really talked about the corruption in all of this, but uh, I think that uh, from what I read in your book and what I understand other places, that that's also a, uh, an important player. I don't know just how far reaching it is, but uh, that it's an important player in, um, in the, the wealth defense industry and on hiding wealth. It is, and... and uh... You know, it's not just about tax avoidance. It's, uh, you know, I, I give the example in, in the wealth orders of a, a guy who started a, a company to sell computers to low-income people on weekly installment payments, uh, the Blue Hippo Computer Company out of Maryland. And he ran, you know, sort of late night television ads, you know, and call our 800 number and, you know, give, you know, we'll have $40 a week taken out of your uh, bank account and that at a certain point, we'll ship you a computer. Well, promises, promises. They took all this money from all these mostly working people who probably didn't have a lot of money to spare, but wanted to get a computer, never shipped the computers. So basically, some you know, thousands of people were built out of their money. Mm. And ultimately, the state of Maryland and the federal government got involved and tried to hold this owner accountable. Um, but they were able to move their money offshore to the Cook mm. Islands and to Belize. And they used a whole, they went to a law firm of wealth defense industry people to help them, you know, avoid responsibility and accountability. Oh. So, uh, and there's examples of people who use the same tools to, you know, the, to hide money from their former spouse, you know, mm. um, mostly men hiding money from their ex-wives, you know, and, right. and using these hidden wealth systems to, again, evade accountability and responsibility. Um, so there's a whole level of corruption that can take place. Um, and that's, that's part of the embarrassment of the system is you have the Pandora Papers revealed people who are obviously stealing money from their mm. own people, former government ministers, mm. There are 3,000 people in Mexico who are kind of politically connected, wealthy individuals who were exposed for taking their money, siphoning it out through a Panamanian law firm, and then investing it in U.S. real estate. Mm -hmm. you know, these are the people who are supposed to uphold the public trust. Wow. So 
this is a system that enables corruption. Mm -hmm. So um, are states like South Dakota and Delaware uh, having doing anything at the state level to rein in uh, what has become, they've gotten a reputation for contributing to the wealth defense industry. Is there any pushback on that now? Well, they're going to be the last ones <laughs> to step up and, and reform it. Actually, I have this quote on my wall from Upton Sinclair, which is, it is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends upon his not understanding it. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, you know, South Dakota, in a sense, benefits. Uh, and a lot of these states tend to be small states where the wealth defense industry has a lot of power. Mm. And it's essentially captured the political system. And you don't see the shenanigans in California and New York State, states that have, you know, diversified economies and professional legislators, you know. South Dakota, but but I think there is some embarrassment factor here. Delaware, mm. you know, with its anonymous shell companies, it started to become clear that they were sort of like the uh the, the, the bad neighbors in the neighborhood, you know, they, mm -hmm. the, the back pages, you know, tr sex trafficking and pornography websites were all incorporating in Delaware, you know, um, criminals and, and uh, former Trump officials laundering money and bribes to strippers were using Delaware limited liability companies, you know, narco traffickers, you know, from around the world using Delaware limited liability, you know, so it, it sort of became a little embarrassing to the state of Delaware that they that their you know public uh, incorporation laws were being used by some shady characters, um, and and in the case of South Dakota, the the secret sauce is basically that the legislature voted to a not require trusts to disclose who their beneficial owners are and not to tax them and allow them to live forever. And the whole idea of, of, of trusts typically is a trust terminates at some point where you can create what they call a dynasty trust that can live, ex exist forever. Mm -hmm. So basically they've changed their state laws to attract global wealth. Uh, it doesn't really benefit many people who live in South Dakota that it's obviously they're not paying taxes but there's maybe a couple hundred people who benefit by having those jobs. Yeah, and just to make sure that uh, Shell Company isn't, uh, we just don't assume where all of our listeners are understanding that term, uh, just say a word about that, please. Yeah, this is, I mean, I mean by that is an anonymous company where you don't have to say who, who your owners are or they are, uh, they're an offshore company that exists to just, you know, kind of siphon money and activities. Uh, and the reality is wealthy individuals, the wealth defense industry, they play kind of like the old shell game, if you will. They, they move the money around. Some of it's in an offshore bank account or it's owned by a company that doesn't have to disclose who the real owners are or it's purchasing assets and real estate in the United States. And, and usually it's some multiple combination of all those things. 
that that enables uh, the the super wealthy to kind of put their money outside scrutiny. We'll return momentarily to the conversation with Chuck Collins. As 2022 begins, we urge you to read the revised Covenant for One Earth Jubilee Living. It gives you strong, practical guidance for living in 2022 as we experience the growing attacks on democracy and Earth's environment. None of the emerging disasters is being handled at the scale that is needed to end the sixth mass extinction or our own demise as a species. So what can we do? The covenant defines core practices that assure us we are participating in the growing and massive grassroots powers resisting the ways of death and instead living the path of life. Earth is our ally in this great endeavor. You can find it the, the Jubilee Covenant on the website, oneearthjubilee.com. Let's return to our conversation with Chuck Collins. So for those of us who um, are in the, maybe in the lower 10% or well below it, um, are we just observers in this whole thing? You indicate in your book that this isn't really just uh, the sideshow, it's really the main show, uh, which was uh, an interesting comparison that I hadn't thought of. And, and so I think, well, I don't feel like I'm very effective in doing anything to, to make change in all of this. In fact, uh, reading this book just makes me think all the more how formidable it is uh, and how outside of it I, I feel. Um, uh, so I was glad when I read, as I said, the chapter where you get into this some, uh, although for me, most of the players still seem like they're in a different category than I am. <clears throat> I, I, I think that's an understandable response because in the face of any big system, it's sort of like, what can each of us or as individuals do? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one important thing is just to talk about it in the way you are with with the conversation we're having but talk about the harms Mm. why does this matter you know when wealthy people don't pay their fair share of taxes basically everybody else has to pick up the slack or we don't make the investments that we need i mean the unbuilt health clinic the poor response to a pandemic these are all the costs of this system and no, the estimate is at the global level, some 24 to $36 trillion of private wealth is being hidden. You know, this is the wealth of the super rich. Um, so that's, that's a lot of treasure that mm. could be deployed to solve some of our biggest global problems. Um, but the question is always sort of what are the pressure points mm-hmm. that can make change? And I think one, just educating ourselves about the nature of the system um, to the extent we engage with people, whether it's elected officials, say, you know, I, I want you to, to shut down this hidden wealth system. I want you to fix this. I want a fair tax system. I don't want a tax system where the super rich get to opt out and have it be voluntary and the rest of us have to pay. Um, I think that, that we do know people who work sometimes in this wealth defense industry you know there's a lot of people who get up in the morning and work uh, whether they're neighbors or members of congregations and just to engage them on 
again, each of us has some responsibility for the role that we play in cooperating with the system and somehow have more power and responsibility. So continuing to kind of push that, make that point. Um, but yeah, in a democracy, hopefully there are moments when we can weigh in, whether it's a letter to the editor or a meeting with an elected official or you know, an engagement or conversation with people. Um, but ultimately, we have to be part of bigger organizations, you know, that can wield power, where, you know, a civic group, a religious congregation, uh, you know, a national coalition like Americans for Tax Fairness. Mm -hmm. uh, those are all we need to sort of join together and use our collective power to make a difference. And, and, and that's, that's ultimately how change is going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, um, <clears throat> if you would, after this podcast, which we have to end pretty quickly, um, send us maybe a couple links to a couple of these organizations so that listeners can say, ah, oh, that, that, that I can explore further. And that, that would be uh, something I feel like I, maybe I could do. That would be, I think, really helpful. Chuck. And um, I, I've also <laughs> bought 50 copies of the Yes Magazine issue th that has your article uh, in it, among other very fine articles. I just thought it was an excellent edition on Enough. And um, so uh, reading about these small movements now with wealthy people involved that are... Um, just wanting to go in a different direction with their personal wealth as you have in your life and as well as urging it in uh, with, uh, with uh, upon upon others and, and in society. So um, yeah, I look forward to handing that out and by saying it here, people can say, hey, Lee, send me a copy and I'll be happy to do that. Um, so I'm, uh, if there's something else you, you want to say in regard to what I've been talking about, please do. Uh, I don't feel like we're out of things to talk about, but we're out of time. Uh, so this, is, this has been um, so very special for me. I'm so grateful to you. <clears throat> well, I was going to say just in that Yes Magazine article, which has gotten great response, you know, a big part of what I did is I, I met uh, a, a young woman named Stephanie Broby, mm -hmm. who had spent 10 years working in London as a wealth advisor and who kind of jumped the track and started her own company called the Good Ancestor Movement. And she's working with wealthy individuals. And her kind of um, call to them is, well, let, I'll help you diminish your wealth. So instead of hoarding and accumulating more and more, I'll help you move that money and, and uh, to help heal the harms mm. caused by the extraction of that money. Mm. And, um, and I'll help you figure out how to engage with your family and the other professionals who are telling you to hold on tighter and tighter and to think of your, the future, not just your narrow bloodline of your children and grandchildren and your great unborn great grandchildren yeah. and how to pass money out to them, but how to be a good ancestor mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to the holes. And um, she's just a, you know, great example of, of people who are stepping forward in this moment with a very different set of values and a different vision. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I love this idea like, oh, well, you know, actually the Rockefeller, a whole bunch of Rockefeller family members have come together mm-hmm. and said, we're going to take our money out of the fossil fuel sector and we're going to use our wealth and power to help transition to a, a you know, clean energy economy. You know, here's a family whose money came from oil and who are saying, you know, maybe it seemed like a good idea at the time, you know, 140 years ago to oil seemed like a, a gift from the, from the beyond, but yeah. now we see the harms. Or someone whose money came from farm, you know, kind of opioid manufacturing. Mm. How do I redeploy that wealth to heal mm. the harms? Uh, and there's a young woman I met who said, yeah, my money came from uh, a racially segregated real estate market in a particular city. And that's, so I'm going to use this wealth to close the racial wealth divide and housing mm-hmm. in a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something healing and holistic about that approach. And, and that's her work, you know, is I'm going to work with people to do that. So that I thought, I found that inspirational. I'm sure there are other people out there doing the same thing. And maybe we can surface more and more of those stories because, you know, they're, they're providing an alternative way of thinking about wealth mm-hmm. management. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're questioning that assumption of mm-hmm. unlimited accumulation and passing on as much to the, the narrow bloodline as possible. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, well, well we're, we're, we have some big problems we need to solve here. And wealthy people are sitting on a huge amount of treasure. And let's, let's use that treasure to, to heal these harms. Uh, whether in reparations and, and ecological restoration and regeneration. So I found that very in, inspiring and hopeful. Yes, I think it certainly is. And um, yes, I, like you said, there are always, there are always kind of the weak links or the, or the ones ready to change, but they're not quite sure how. And, and um, <clears throat> so I think stories like that could, could really uh, encourage the conversion of other people as well. All right. Well, um, I hate to say it, but we've got to stop, Chuck. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Lee, for a wonderful conversation. You've been listening to Lee's conversation with Chuck Collins. Have you listened to our other recent episodes? In August, Brenda Weiss, Feminist Econ- Economics is Creating Just Systems that Meet Current Crises. In September, Eric Lecomte, Forgive Us Our Debts, Woes and Wins in Canceling Student Debt. October, Incoentro, a U.S.-Mexico conversation on living the alternative worldview we call One Earth Jubilee. In November, Lauren Van Ham, Radical Interreligious Cooperation is Working to Save Life on Our Planet. And in December, Della Duncan, Renegade Economist, Tell us about donut economics and other economic models being put to work. Do listen. You're sure to pick up thoughts you'll value. We certainly did as we created those episodes. You can subscribe to this podcast under the name Simple Living Works at your favorite podcast service. Individual episodes are available at Jubilee's new website, oneearthjubilee.com, and also simplelivingworks.org, window number three. Urge your friends to do the same. You're welcome to subscribe to Simple Living Works' various free publications. For our monthly e-news blog, 
send subscribe to simplelivingworks at yahoo.com. For our weekly email that provides brief daily simple living nudges, send nudge to the same address, simplelivingworks at yahoo.com. Also, Simple Living Works offers hundreds of free resources for individuals, families, and congregations to have more generous, much less consumer-oriented lives. Just visit simplelivingworks.org and click on free resources in window number one. Please tell us your thoughts on these episodes. Leave a message on Jubilee, One Earth Economics, and Simple Living Works Facebook pages. Until next time, this is Jerry Iverson of Simple Living Works with co-host Lee Van Ham of uh, Jubilee One Earth Economics, wishing you well as we strive together to bring simpler One Earth living into being for the common good. Learn to live simply so others can simply live.